Hi, I'm David Freudberg. Each week at the Humankind on Public Radio podcast, we strive to practice the simple art of listening. At times, it can feel like a lost art in our noisy world. And of course, not everything is worth listening to. But for me, when I'm able to get centered, listening can be almost a sacred experience, a moment of focused attention that accords the speaker a measure of dignity. If you value this too, please help others to find our podcast. Consider going to Humankind on Public Radio at iTunes and leave us a kind review. And thanks for listening. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston. This special documentary project is supported by the Compassionate Care Initiative at the University of Virginia School of Nursing and by the Humankind Program Fund. I think nursing draws a certain kind of person, and I think it draws a person that is very caring. Um, as a rule, it's not somebody that goes in there for the money, certainly, and they certainly don't go in there because, you know, they want to pass meds and, and make beds. They go because they care about patients. But how hard is it for a nurse to remain sensitive to patients in the face of their sometimes relentless suffering? You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Healthcare providers witness a lot of human pain, often patients in deep, continuing distress. And bearing witness to that suffering inevitably takes a toll on nurses, who are the primary providers of direct patient care in hospitals. It's definitely something that kind of it sticks with you, and, and you can't quite leave that at work. Suzanne Lara is a cardiovascular recovery nurse at MedStar, the largest private hospital in Washington, D.C. But... That's one of the things I do love about what I do, and it's one of the things that I actually do enjoy about critical care, because it's that person's worst day, but I take comfort in the fact that knowing that if I'm there to support them and their family, I can make it hopefully just a little bit better and kind of ease the transition into this just hellish time for them. How do you make it a little bit better? Listen. Just let them, let them talk. Uh, small things help them be a little bit more comfortable, help them understand exactly what's happening and just get an idea of what their true needs are. That I don't only attend to their medical immediate needs, but also just the small things. Like, I mean, sometimes it's just as easy as a swab of water just on a, to moisten their mouth a little bit. People arriving here at the MedStar emergency room are usually in some degree of crisis. And patients who are admitted to the hospital enter a setting where they depend on nurses for bedside medical needs and emotional support. Nurses must perform their duties in a hectic, time-stressed environment. The national nursing shortage aggravates this challenge. In one survey, about a fourth of U.S. hospitals reported at least 10% of their nursing positions are unfilled. It's very frightening to see what is happening, specifically on the floors in nursing. They are so task-oriented that they don't even get to see the patient half the time. Sherry Goldman is a nurse practitioner specializing in breast care at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles. A general trend in nursing today is that work patterns are increasingly fragmented with rapid changes between brief tasks. 
Nurses we spoke with often commented on the heavy administrative burden they must also shoulder, including elaborate medical documentation. Inevitably, this affects actual contact with patients. They come in, they introduce themselves, and they usually say, I'll be back in a little while, and they never come back again. And I've seen that over and over because they have to get their charting done, they have to get their medications passed, and they very seldom have the time to really give to the patient. If one patient is extremely needy, they may get their time, but then there's five others that don't. For some nurses, this breathless pace becomes personally draining and erodes their ability to form a meaningful, healing connection with patients. They opt out of working in a frenetic hospital or other clinic and hit the road instead, making house calls as visiting nurses. For many patients, home health services are covered by Medicare or HMOs. Amy Moonen Carmi is a nurse with Home Health VNA, a service operating on Massachusetts North Shore. She invited me to ride with her on a routine home visit. Have you had previous stops with patients today? I have seen five people so far today. And it's just 1.30 in the afternoon. And had I, had I not been meeting you, I probably would have seen six by now. Wow. And are they generally clustered in a similar geographical area? Oh, yeah. They, they work really hard to um, give us patients that are within a quote-unquote territory. So I typically see folks here in Groveland and Georgetown. Um, I do have some other people that I see outside of that region for other special cases. Thus far today on the five previous patient visits you've made, has it been stressful? Has anybody been in tough shape in a way that that might make it hard for you? Yeah, um, it's been a little bit of a sad day for me today. I do have a woman that who I've been working with for a long time, um, who I've had both she and her husband on service in the past, and she is still on service with me, and she is unfortunately declining a bit right now, and we made the decision today sort of in consulting with her doctor and in talking to both her and her husband and figuring out, you know, what their wishes are and what their goals are. Um, We actually decided today that a hospice eval would be appropriate for her. so I've, you know, I've gotten the order from the doctor and I've called that into our referral department and they should be getting out there to see her very soon to help determine, you know, if that's the service that's more appropriate for her at this time. And so you do care about these people. And so it is, it is still sad for you as the provider when things like that happen, but you just have to be reassured that, you know, you're doing your best to get them the assistance that they truly need to do things in a way that suits their wishes. Today we're meeting Evie Weber, a woman in her 90s. At one time, she helped to run a racetrack with her husband, who's now deceased. These days, Evie resides in an apartment in a well-maintained retirement community in Groveland, Massachusetts, 35 miles north of Boston. She's facing mounting health problems and is wearing a nasal oxygen tube. Her son frequently looks in on her, and Evie's constant companion is Nikki, her adorable floppy-eared poodle. Hello. Come on, Nikki. 
Okay. Yeah. So, Evie, this is my friend David. Hi, David. Nice to meet you. It's a pleasure <laughs> to meet you, too. It's an awful mess here, but... It is not. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, I don't think so. Well, you're a love, that's why. <laughs> Isn't she a love? Well, it's always such a pleasure to have her come. Oh, it is. Well, it's always a pleasure for me. For home so, visits, yeah. Amy brings what she calls her bag of tricks with stethoscope, blood pressure cuff, and other devices for taking medical measurements. And, of course, there's a tablet on which she records electronic notes. Let me just get signed into this lovely device of mine. So tell me what's been going on since I saw you last. Well, I've been so short of breath, and um, my ankles and my uh, feet seem to be swollen. Yeah. So uh, the cardiologist called this morning, and there's a new prescription for me over at CVS that... Uh, Supposed to take more fluid off, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Because he said that's not a good combination, shot of breath and exactly, the swelling. Exactly, This morning, the hairdresser wouldn't do my hair because I was so short of breath. Oh, Evie. Yeah, no. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, and, you know, we'll definitely listen to your lungs and measure your oh, ankles sure. and see all that good stuff. Did the doctor tell you what medication he was calling in? I don't know unless I call the drugstore okay. and ask. Well, I can I can give them a buzz too, yeah. um, you know, because I just want to make sure that we're staying on top of this. You know, the last right. thing I want I you to do is to wind up back in the hospital. Yeah, I'll give them a buzz. I'll give them a buzz. Visiting nurses removed from the rush of the clinic and meeting calmly with one patient at a time at home. The essence of care is building the personal bond between nurse and patient. Amy Moon and Carmi. I think it's about listening to people. I think it's about, you know, forgetting the fact that you have six other patients that you have to go see and just stopping being right where you are in that moment with that particular person that you're serving and listening to their concerns. For Amy, that means taking a deep breath and staying in the moment with the patient. She says it's an effort to forget about everything else that's going on outside in her life, even with other patients, and simply focusing on the person in front of her. I find that the more and more I learn to listen, the better I'm able to help serve them as a clinician. And Truthfully, if you listen, they'll usually cover what you what you need to talk about. And you know, once they're done talking, if there's something that they that we didn't talk about that we do need to discuss, then you can ask these other questions about, well, tell me more about this or how's this going or what other concerns do you have? I think that active listening is a skill. A visiting nurse colleague, Lisa Bradshaw, a nurse practitioner, specializes in hospice and palliative care. So to be an active listener means to quiet and center yourself, to be very open. It's your body language. Mm -hmm. It's shutting up. You know, um, I tend to talk a lot. So <laughs> I, um, it has been a skill that I've needed to develop, especially working in hospice and palliative care. You have to be comfortable with silence. 
you have to ignore your phone. I mean, it's nothing like being in a visit and your phone is ringing and someone's trying to share something with you and you're like, excuse me while I take this call to just shut down that entire interaction. And if there is silence, to be very comfortable with silence. Silence is okay and you can sit in silence for a couple of minutes while someone gathers themselves. And when you do that, people do really open up to you because they know your intention while you're there is to really listen and even if it takes them a little bit of time but it I feel like it's a skill and it's taken me 20 something years and it's something that I work on all the time. It really is extremely important just to meet the person where they are. Joining our discussion is Paul Pruell, also a visiting nurse. He specializes in hospice care, which sometimes entails difficult conversations with patients who are dying. Some people are very accepting about it. Some people are in shock. Some people are angry. So I think it's important just to, to meet them and say, you know, how are you doing? Where do things stand? And, you know, what can I do to help you? What are your, what are your goals? What are your hopes? What are your fears? Um, I think a lot of times people don't have these discussions in a hospital setting, and I think people, after completing, a lot of our our patients have had chemotherapy, radiation, surgery, and they feel a little bit traumatized. Um, Maybe victimized is too strong a word, but I think some people do, and they feel like they just have sort of lost control of what's going on. So we try to, I, I feel it's important to give them a sense of, you have control, I'm a guest in your home, I'm here to treat you with respect and dignity, and it's your journey. You know, I, I'm here to help you and guide you and I can find out what your hopes and dreams are and try to help you accomplish those things. core tenet of compassionate health care is empowering patients to make their own choices. It respects the dignity of the individual rather than imposing a provider's decision. And little things like sitting down when talking with patients instead of lording over them. But there are times when the person who's ill ends up on the short end of the stick. Nurse Lisa Bradshaw. Whether you're home or in the hospital, you are beholden to this nurse who for eight hours or half an hour or whatever is in charge of your care. And if you feel that person is not caring, I mean, what must it feel like to be an older person in the hospital at night with an, an uncaring nurse taking care of you for the next eight hours? And that person is in control of when you can go to the bathroom and if you get water and, you know, someone coming into you, your room when you're feeling vulnerable and lousy and they have a terrible, uncaring attitude and they're in charge of you. How awful must that be? You're on that nurse's schedule and I hate to say a prisoner, but that person is in charge of your care. Mm -hmm. Um, And every time that person comes in, instead of feeling relieved, thank goodness my nurse is here to make me feel better, you feel terrible that that person's presence makes you feel anxious. You know, I can't imagine what that's like. Amy? That is part of the reason that I left the hospital setting for home care is that you're just flat out running the whole time you're there. You don't eat, you don't go to the bathroom. And if one little thing goes wrong, you can't meet the needs of your other patients. And so you do feel exhausted. It can be very hard in that kind of a setting to be compassionate. And I, and, and I think it does cause you to develop this thick skin. 
Amy Moon and Carmi says the relentless rhythm characterizing so much contemporary health care causes some nurses to harden, which can be a precursor to burnout. But it may not be accurate to describe these providers as uncaring. In fact, they may be deeply caring but feel overwhelmed by the demands of their work environment. To me, that yeah, that's the wall up against compassion. You know, I think we need to remain vulnerable and and still feel things. You know, I think if we don't feel things, we're not as able to be compassionate towards people. So not everyone has a horrible experience in, in hospitals, but I think it's it's more often than not. And I think it kind of makes our job a little more difficult because people kind of have the attitude, we're coming and telling them what we can do for them. And they're kind of like, well, show me, you know, you got to I'm going to see if you're going to make good on this because they've heard people say, yeah, I'll be right there with the water, I'll be right there with the bedpan, and they never show up. So we have to deliver on what we say to gain that, that trust and establish a, a relationship with people. You really get to know a lot about them in such a quick period of time. I think about how, especially doing home care, I think, we see where they sleep, we meet their family, their neighbors, we know your cat, we see your pictures <laughs> on the wall, um, we know a lot more about you. And in home care, it's so different than seeing someone isolated in a hospital. I know when you come home that you have nobody and that your neighbor is taking care of you. I see what's in your refrigerator. Like I said, I meet your dog. That's so important to you. Um, and you really get a huge understanding. And I think for us, oftentimes, when we're seeing people in the home, I tend to do the we just do some business. We do the business end of the visit. And then it's so nice sometimes at the end of the visit when someone you see a picture and ask someone, tell me about this picture. Or tell me about, I see you have a lot of um, army medals on the wall and someone shares something really special with you. I mean, even when we're only seeing people for a couple of weeks, you really do get to know them so quickly. Exploring the challenges of remaining genuinely caring in today's medical environment. You're listening to a Humankind special, Compassionate Nurses. I'm David Freudberg. If you'd like to obtain an audio copy of this program and learn more about the compassionate care of patients and to hear our documentary on resilience for nurses, please visit humanmedia.org. So what's it like as a hospice nurse knowing that basically every patient you're dealing with is going to die fairly soon? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that helps you right from the start. I think about that every day when I walk into someone's home. Nurse Paul Pruel. You know, this person has a terminal illness. Um, I also think there but for fortune go I or, you know, a member of my family. And I, I think, you know, I try to treat that person as, you know, I would want myself or a member of my family to be treated and I think that's that's a big part of having compassion for people you know treating them with respect and dignity but um, yeah it is hard but you, you it's you know that it's part of life uh, you know it's it's a hard part of life but suffering is part of life and dying everyone's gonna die and we just try to help people die as comfortably and with as much you know peace and dignity you know it's just helping the, the, the patients and the families to understand kinda knowing what to expect um, knowing what to do when a problem comes up, knowing they, they know they can call us 24 hours a day if something goes off track. And I think that's a big part of it. I think a lot of people's fears is not always knowing what to expect. It's just, it's amazing what 
the families that we meet do. You know, I, I watch sports and I hear the announcer say, oh, this guy is so courageous, he's playing with an injury, and I'm thinking, that's not courageous. The, the families that we meet are courageous. We have people that have no experience in, in you know, the medical field, and all of a sudden we're talking about giving their loved ones morphine and different drugs and you know, repositioning them and doing wound care, mm -hmm. and they do it because they love the member of their family so much. That, to me, is amazing courage and love, and it's inspirational. I mean, you can't not be inspired by what these families do. Mm -hmm. A nurse washing up in the ultrasound room of the breast cancer center at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Beverly Hills. Discussing a potentially life-threatening diagnosis is tough on patients. It can also be very wearing on the health care providers. Nurse Shuri Goldman. There are days when you think, how can I get through tomorrow? But then I walk into this office and I look around at the patients and the, and the team that we have, and I think to myself, this is what it's all about, being able to help other people. And I get re revitalized almost every day, thank God. for. And we have a great team here, which I think the working conditions are extremely important for a nurse. If you don't have a good team, you, you can really suffer even more. Sherry Goldman routinely turns to colleagues for her own emotional support. She calls herself a venter. The work can be very depleting. If a patient is difficult, she might seek out a medical social worker or the chaplain or bring in another nurse. It's part of nurses taking care of themselves so as to remain available for compassionate treatment of patients. In terms of breast cancer, we're on the front lines here. And although we do the diagnostic part of it and we see the patients crumbling as they learn, the good thing is I'm able to talk to them about their treatment and give them hope and, and give them um, a pathway to move on. It's very draining to walk away from a patient who feels like they're going to die or maybe will die. And some days I think, I'm just not going to get back there the next day. But as I said, we get revitalized. When there's the experience of informing a patient of the diagnosis and then they crumble, I can only imagine that that's really hard. When you start out and uh, you're telling a patient that they have breast cancer, in our case, their faces, of course, drop immediately, and they're upset, and you hold their hand, and you talk them through it, and you see changes in their face and in their demeanor so that they know. I think giving them a path is always huge, or a, 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 um, a structure that they know you're going to do this first and let's not go any farther than that because we're going to take one day at a time. And somehow or another you work through so that you get that patient to maybe smile or hold your hand or they're always grateful to have an answer and we always do follow up always, so that the next day or maybe even the next hour, depending upon how much this patient is in need, we make sure that we follow up with them, and they always are grateful for that. If we're in a situation where life and death are on the line, highly charged emotions, not just the patients, but also the families, 
and the providers are right there with them. I, I just have to assume that there are times when this becomes overwhelming. I can think of a specific incident where I told a patient some really devastating news and I just reached out and held her and we cried together. I don't have an issue with showing my feelings. There may be other clinicians that do, but how can you not when you're telling a, a young girl some tragic news and she may be breast, have breast cancer and be pregnant and not married or whatever, whatever the situation is, and you see her completely fall apart, how, I, it's okay to fall apart with them and hold them, and give, but then give them confidence afterward. And if, if you fall apart with them out of empathy, how do you then collect yourself back together so that you can go on in your duties to provide care of other patients? I think somehow you just find it within yourself. Sylvia Estrada, also a nurse practitioner at Cedars-Sinai, is very close with Sherry Goldman. You know, you can't be in this crying spell forever that someone's going to take charge and, and um, you know, lead the conversation that, okay, um, this is what we're going to do, okay? And um, somehow find, like Sherry mentioned, a pathway. And we're going to be here for you. We're going to be here with you with thick and thin. And if you ever need to, no question is too dumb, call us, send us an email, text us, whatever. And I think that reassurance really does go a long way. It humanizes the care for them because they realize, oh, well, you know, they, they, they are compassionate. They know what, 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 what's going on, and that's why they're, they're, um, they're upset and they're crying alongside with us. I often ask myself why I can go home at night and conduct myself normally after I've just been in a very emotional, difficult situation. And I think we learn over years, and Sylvia and I are both very experienced nurses and advanced care nurses, that you compartmentalize and you put things in their place so that I have learned that when I walk out of here, there are times when I can't let it go, but those are the times that I really talk to myself on the way home or I listen to good music or I listen to a story that's happy and I try to move through it and I think compartmentalizing is huge. Because we're human. We, um, you know, show empathy. And if you have someone who truly, truly needs your support and your help, the other two or three patients that are sitting in a room who are not in distress um, would probably understand if the moment you go in and you say, I apologize for being late, I, we just had this type of situation, most people get it. They understand. Nurses, you know, 35, 40 years ago were trained to be proper and stoic. It's no longer like that. It's like Sylvia said, we're human and we sort of go with the flow. So if somebody's really upset, we're in that mode. If they're really angry, we try to diffuse it. If they're happy, we try to be in the happiness moment with them. But we also, I think, give them, all, we do a lot of networking. We make sure in that pathway that they have three or four names. And what Sylvia said, it's funny, I'm laughing to myself, we text them or we email them. You know, she and I are a different breed because there's a lot of nurses out there that probably would not 
text with their patient or email. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily the right thing to do, but when you have a patient that is really, really needy, it's okay for me to do that because I want to be there for them. Sherry Goldman with Sylvia Estrada, nurse practitioners at the Brandman Breast Center of Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles. I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Antonio Oliart Rose. Editorial assistance from David Cruz, Ken Rogers, Kathy Graham, Meg Riadegui, Eduardo Riadegui, and Mark Kilstein. Webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Tony Buck. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with Connie Goldman Productions. Program development provided by Short Media. To purchase a CD copy of this program, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. That's 1-800-5-L-I-S-T-E-N. Or visit our website where you can also obtain an audio download of this and our other programs and can hear selected episodes free. You can access free written materials related to this program as well. Our web address is humanmedia.org. Again, if you'd like to purchase a CD copy of Humankind by phone, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. And our web address is humanmedia.org. And you can subscribe at iTunes to our free weekly podcast, Humankind on Public Radio. This segment, part one of Compassionate Nurses, is Humankind program number 240. The executive producer is David Freudberg. This is Humankind. To hear more episodes of Humankind, you can subscribe to our free podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast player. A new episode each week. The podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you enjoy this program, be sure to leave us a kind review at iTunes and Stitcher. If you want to support the program, please visit humanmedia.org. And at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Again, our web address is humanmedia.org. Thanks.